Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Pig Health Today, and with me is Dr. Scott D. He is a veterinarian and director of research for Pipestone Veterinary Services. Always great to see you, Scott. Hey, Joe, good to see you again. Now, Scott, I have known you for more than 25 years. Really? Yeah. 25. It has, it has been that long. Okay. And I've always had great admiration for you as both a veterinarian and a researcher, but I, I have to let you know, some of the research you've been doing in recent years scares the bejesus out of me. Uh, and I imagine it probably scares the industry a little bit too. I mean, when you were on the program last year, you told us about this CSI type investigation that you did uh, with porcine epidemic diarrhea virus and how it could survive a, uh, a trip uh, a, you know, from, from Asia into the heartland of the US uh, and still be there, and, and that was scary. And then uh, in our last conversation, you kind of followed up on that research and showed that the same thing could happen with a foreign animal disease, which could trigger all sorts of problems in this country. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing more research showing high-risk combinations right. of viruses and diseases. So uh, all scary stuff, but important. So uh, tell us about your presentation at the 2018 AASV meeting. Well, thanks. I think you summed it up pretty well. You know, a couple years ago, at Pipestone, we wanted to see how PD might have entered the country because nobody really knew. Yeah. And we were the first group to show that feed could be a vehicle. You could have contaminated feed, pigs would eat that feed, and they could get infected. And so we just put this model together that kind of simulated, like you said, China to Des Moines, specifically Beijing to Des Moines. And it worked. I mean, the virus lived in certain feed ingredients extremely well. And we just got the interest growing there and got more funding, and now we've actually repeated the process over a total of 12 viruses. And like you said, the majority of them are all some pretty bad bugs. If they would come into the United States, uh, there would be probably billions of dollars in losses. So yeah, it's, it's a serious topic that's definitely woke up the industry. And you're working with the Swine Health Information Center on this? Yes, the SHIC has been a constant source of funds and support since the beginning, so I can't thank Paul Sundberg and his team enough. Uh, we're working on other projects with them right now, looking at mitigation, if you want to talk about that sometime. Yeah. And they funded that too, so they are there at the leading edge with, with funds to keep these projects going. Well, I do want to talk about mitigation, but let's talk about these high-risk sure. combinations, because we know the viruses are out there. Um, we can't really do much about the viruses, but uh, maybe we can be more selective or be a little bit more careful about some of the feed ingredients that right. we are importing. What are you finding? Basically, we've learned that certain ingredients, such as high-protein soybean meal, so low-fat, high-protein, lysine, which is an amino acid, choline, which is a vitamin, and then vitamin D, support certain viruses for a very long period of time. Viruses such as Seneca virus A, which we use as a surrogate for foot and mouth disease virus. It's built the same way, mm -hmm. and it survived in many ingredients, including those. Uh, African swine fever, which we actually worked with the actual pathogen down at Kansas State, their biosecurity research institute. We'd, because there's no surrogate for that, we had to work with the real virus. That one survived, again, in those ingredients very, very well, extremely stable. Uh, PD, as we've shown, and even PERS virus. Um, is moving around potentially in soybean meal or DDGs. And so the more we look, the more we learn. But we are starting to look at some of these high-risk combinations now. The right virus with the right ingredient or wrong, however you want to look at it, mm -hmm. 
there's something about the structure of the virus and the chemical composition of those ingredients that allow it to live at very high quantities and survive this simulated model moving from, again, China to the U.S. Or in the case of African swine fever, we actually took a transatlantic approach because that's more of an Eastern Europe pathogen. We modeled that from Warsaw, Poland into New York City, then to oh. Des Moines, and it survived very well. Amazing. Yeah. So the more we dig, the more we find. Now, and I know for a good reason that the main focus has been with the foreign animal diseases, but your work did start with PED. You mentioned PERS. What are some other common everyday viruses that U.S. vets and producers are, are fighting that could be brought in through foreign feeding ingredients? Right. One that's near and dear to all the vets is PCV, or circovirus. And you remember several years ago when circovirus just kind of roared across North America and just raised havoc. Circovirus actually lives in quite a few of these ingredients too. And uh, I wonder if that's how that virus moves so quickly across the North American continent because it can survive very well in lysine, choline, vitamin D, complete feed. I mean, everything that we typically use on a pig farm, it seemed like that virus could survive. So that one everyone's familiar with. And the PERS was a bit of a, a mind bender because we didn't think PERS would live and feed, but in those two ingredients it does. And so maybe there's not just a, only a transboundary as, aspect, there's a domestic aspect too. This is how pathogens are moving from farm to farm, also potentially from country to country. And, and it's interesting because you mentioned PCV. When all hell broke loose with that virus back in the early 2000s, I believe it was primarily the 2A genotype, then 2B came along, then it was a mutant T 2B which became 2D. Um, would those new genotypes be coming in through feed or is that something that evolves after it gets here? Those might be more mutations that occur over time and develop, but the initial introduction could have been you know, A or B, I'm not really sure. I think it's not so much the strain, it's, it's the, the way the viruses are built. Mm -hmm. That's the drive. So a PCV3, for example. It'd behave the same way, I would yeah. think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. So you, you've, you've identified the, the high-risk combinations and, and the viruses. What do we do about it, Scott? <laughs> Good question. Good question. Um, the tricky part is certain ingredients, well, the first thing you'd say is, well, just don't bring them in from other countries, right? Just use what we got in the United States. Mm -hmm. So you could do that to a certain extent, but certain ingredients are only produced in other countries. Mm -hmm. So there's no other options here in the United States. To For example? Vitamins. Big time product out of China. Most of the vitamins that come across into our farms uh, are from China. So you got to have vitamins in your feed, right? right. The pigs aren't going to grow. So what do we do there? I think we have to look at, and we are at this point, looking at what can we add to the feed as a, as a mitigant to reduce the survival of the virus. And we're studying that right now using our model. And we've collected 10 different mitigants. Some are already on the market. Some are new ideas that companies are developing. Mm -hmm. We're putting them through the model and seeing, you know, in the worst case scenario, Seneca, for example, in soybean meal, um, PERS, PED, in lysine, choline, vitamin D. What do they do? And so we're just starting to understand that no mitigant is perfect, but some of them are better than others. And some of them look like they're actually reducing viral load mm -hmm. quite a bit. 
which is important because if we can drive that challenge dose down, it becomes a lot easier to manage at the farm level. And without getting into specific products, what types of compounds or products are these? Yeah, we're looking at, uh, there's formaldehyde products, there's organic acids, there's medium chain fatty acids in different combinations and blends, mm -hmm. there's antioxidants, essential oils, so all different kinds of chemistry is the beauty of this study because there's not a, just a bunch, one or two options. We might be able to come up with several different options and we always have picked the ones that are safe to use. You know, we haven't pulled something crazy off the shelf. We've actually looked at stuff that if, if this works, it's either already approved by the FDA or it's going, going to be approved. So it's going to be safe in feed. It's going to be safe for use in pigs. It's not going to cause any human effects. So we're looking at it that aspect too. If we find something that works, we better make sure it's safe. What can producers do now to try to safeguard their farm from these viruses that could be coming in through ingredients? I know you're working on mm -hmm. these mitigation products, but what can they do today? Yeah, I would think they'd want to work with their vet, first of all, and identify, you know, if there are countries that are high risk because of their health status, are there different places to purchase the products, first of all? Are there options from countries that have a higher uh, perhaps level of sanitation in their in their farms and things not as many diseases so that's one thing that their vet can help them with the other thing that they can do is work with their mill and get together at the mill and start talking about what are we doing at the mill to reduce the risk of this problem how can we manage that better through biosecurity uh, potentially storage could we store the ingredients for longer periods of time we in our project we talked about today we evaluated half-life or rate of decay. So how long would it take for this viral load to actually get down to a point where it's no longer an issue? And some storage periods could be built into this where not only do we mitigate to reduce the viral load first, but then we store it for a period of time to continue that reduction process. So I think those are some things that are gonna be eh, a little logistically challenging, but it's, uh, it's not gonna be the end of the world. Now, we've talked about the foreign animal diseases. We talked about some of the uh, common everyday diseases that might be brought in through feed ingredients, but not all viruses survive these transatlantic or transpacific uh, crossings into the heartland. Uh, which ones are they? Yeah, good question, because there was a very nice distribution. Some viruses, like we've just been spending time on, survived in numerous ingredients. Others didn't survive in anything. And so to your point, influenza virus, flu did not survive in anything. And we have several ways to come to that conclusion through multiple ways to test, so I'm confident that's all right. Um, classical swine fever, or hog cholera, which is a foreign animal disease, uh, did not survive in the feed. So we used, as a surrogate, we used a, a virus of cattle that's built the same way. But Megan Niederwerder from Kansas State University, who we did our African swine fever work, repeated it with the actual classical swine fever virus. Hmm. So she, and she showed the same thing that our surrogate did, is that it did not survive. So there are certain viruses, vesicular stomatitis virus would be another one, that in our hands, and in, in other cooperating universities' hands, didn't make it. So it's, it's really got yes or no kind of written all over it. Is there anything we can learn from those viruses? Yeah, some, uh, obviously there's some structural differences here. So if you looked at it from the virology side, the viruses that survive the best are what we call non-enveloped viruses. They don't have a lipid outer membrane. Okay. 
and they're much more stable outside the host. They can withstand heat and disinfection, drying, much longer than what we call the enveloped viruses, which is influenza, mm. hog cholera, classical swine fever. So there, there's, there's viral structure. Uh, that's a component of this as well, as well as the ingredient characteristic to make this high-risk combination. Mm -hmm.